0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our Lord tells us, he who is not with me is against me, and he who gathers not with me scatters. And the Apostle tells us, you were once darkness, but now light. And the Lord, walk... As children of the light. I'm glad to see you all here on this beautiful spring day. The sun is shining, warmth is returning, the birds are chirping and we see the green grass. It is of course then a perfect Sunday dear flock to preach a sermon about hell. It's been a while You know I don't preach about this subject every Sunday. But the third Sunday of Lent, and I would say this Sunday in particular, this year, is one on which a preacher is invited to do so. Of course, if we have a good spiritual guide, we know that we cannot spend our entire lives thinking only about hell. That is not the way the saints think. We should certainly give more time meditating on the joys of heaven longing to see God, thanking God for his mercies and graces. But especially this year, I think I need to give you a few reminders, for it is for your spiritual good. Do not rush out after this sermon and start reading every book you possibly can about hell. Especially for those who are prone to discouragement or scruples this can be very dangerous. Nevertheless, I do ask that all of you hear me out today. A couple of years ago, Monsignor Vach, greeting you in one of his newsletters, began by saying, it seems that the modernists have finally got something right. Hell is indeed empty. Everyone is up here right now. Of course, he was only saying this to make a point about the presence of evil spirits in our world today, the influence of the forces of darkness on this world gone mad. That is the same point that our Lord is making today. During Lent, we take up the three great arms of the spiritual combat, prayer, fasting and almsgiving in order to combat our threefold enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Today we are invited to reflect especially on that third enemy. The devils are indeed at work in our lives. No matter what our state may be, better or worse, like the man in today's gospel, there is no question that the evil spirits influence our lives at least as tempters. All of us are subject to the temptation of the evil spirits. This is not something that gives them any pleasure. By no means is their delight to be among the children of men. Oh no, being among men is part of their punishment. They take no pleasure in tempting us or in getting us on the road to hell. When I think about Monsignor's quip regarding hell being empty, I think of that scene in Dr. Faustus by the playwright Christopher Marlowe, the contemporary of Shakespeare. And once the Faust character has sold his soul to the devil, he then asks the devil, and tell me, what is hell like? Do you miss it when you're gone, when you're here visiting me? And he says, no, I do not miss it, nor have I ever left it. No, the hell's... The devils do not leave hell behind in order to come and tempt us here. Thus we must say that hell is never empty. However, hell is filled not only with the devils, with the fallen angels, but with other inhabitants as well. Let us consider carefully the description of heaven and of hell which our Lord gave us two weeks ago, the beginning of In That image Matthew 25, our Lord come in judgment upon all the world. He says to those who have practiced his law of charity, Come ye blessed of my Father, possess the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. To those on his left, he says, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, which was prepared for the devil and his angels. Yes, dear children, heaven was prepared for us from the foundation of the world. Hell was not prepared for us, but we might go there. Hell is a place of punishment for all those who leave this world in obstinate mortal sin, all those who leave this world in unrepented mortal sin. Among several misconceptions I want to dispel today, because we hear about them all the time, one is this idea that hell is not a place. It may seem like a minor point, but it isn't at all. Last night at dinner, one of the candidates asked me who decided that Pluto is no longer a planet. I would like to know who decided that hell is no longer a place. All of our fathers in the faith were very clear on this point. If St. Thomas were here right now to specify something on this point, he would say that at this moment we might get away with saying that hell is not a place. For at this moment, no one is in hell with his body. After the last judgment, however, all of the damned souls will be in hell with their bodies. And a body must always inhabit a place. Therefore, hell is certainly a place. Furthermore, hell is not empty. Now and again, In our modern times, we do hear about someone every once in a while coming up with a new theological theory about how hell could be empty. It sounds almost like physicists figuring out how they fuse two atoms. To be sure, when theologians talk this way, they are not talking in the tradition of St. Thomas Aquinas or any of the other Holy Fathers who have come before us. The job of theologians is not to invent new ideas, it is simply to explain to us what has been revealed by God in the deposit of revelation that has been closed for 1900 years. If we look at what has been taught to us over the centuries, we find that never do any of the theologians, fathers, doctors, saints ever speak the idea of an empty hell. It is true, we do not know who is in hell, and we do not know how many souls are in hell. But that does not lead us to the conclusion that maybe hell is empty. If we consider the words of our Lord, for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ speaks to us about hell more than any other person, we find little room for such an idea. No, everything that our Lord says, everything the Apostles say, everything all the fathers and doctors tell us, lead us to the conclusion that many souls are in hell. Whether most souls go to hell is a matter of open discussion. St. Thomas Aquinas himself does not take a clear stand on this point. He does invite us to hope that the number of souls in heaven is truly an astounding number. And therefore, we may hope, St. Francis de Sales as well invites us to this position, that perhaps the majority of souls are in heaven. This is a matter of open opinion, and of course one that we shall never settle. Nevertheless, we can only tremble when we consider how many saints did feel but the majority of souls were in hell, and they were certainly not condemned by the Church for holding such an opinion. We simply do not know. As one great Thomas theologian of our time said, when our Lord says to the apostles, "Strive to enter by the narrow gate," instead of simply answering their question, "How many are those who are saved?" We do not know what he is hiding from us. Perhaps he is hiding his mercy, so that we do not presume. Or perhaps hiding his justice, so that we do not despair. The second thing we must remember is that hell is certainly eternal. The pains of hell last forever. Of course, we get the immediate objection in our time, as in former times, how can that be? Any sin we commit here on earth is only a momentary sin. How could it possibly merit an eternal punishment? St. Thomas, of course this leads us into another topic for another sermon, makes the comparison with the morality of the death penalty explaining that just as there are crimes here on Earth which merit the supreme penalty of death, even though they were only momentary crimes, so too there are sins committed here in time which merit eternal punishment. If you bear with me on this point, it will become clear as we understand the nature of the pains of hell. For the other thing we must be sure of is that there truly are two sorts of punishment in hell. This eternal punishment which is suffered by the devils and damned souls consists in the pain of loss, and the pain of sense. This is because sin is itself twofold. When we turn from God and turn toward creatures, that is what sin is, turning away from our Creator and embracing some momentary created good and placing it as our God. This is what St. Paul means today when he condemns so many sins, which are not themselves the sin of apostasy. He condemns impurity. He condemns greed. But he says of these things, they are idolatry. Yes, whenever we break one of the Ten Commandments, whenever we fall into one of the deadly sins, we also break the First Commandment. We are setting something else up as a god, a strange god, in place of the one true God. And so we have a twofold punishment in hell. There is the greatest and truly indescribable pain of loss. After that moment, when the soul who leaves this world in the state of mortal sin appears before its creator and is judged, it immediately flees away from the sight of its judge whom it has rejected in love, and then suffers forever the pain of never seeing God in the face. St. Augustine cries out to God, our heart is restless till it rest in thee. God is the only thing that can ever fill our heart. And so the supreme punishment is to be deprived of that beatific vision forever. But there is another punishment in hell. It goes along with the fact that, in turning from our Creator in life, we have embraced some wretched created good and set it up as our God. And so, for this reason, we suffer also a pain of part of our created nature, the pain of sense. This is truly a mystery. Indeed, we are told that God, in His mercy, always punishes the damned less than they merit. And the pain of losing God, of never seeing God for all eternity, is so indescribable that the pain of sense almost seems as an act of God's mercy, almost, if we could dare to say, as a sort of distraction from the greater punishment of losing God. God, in his mercy, simply lets us have what we want. As one Christian apologist famously said, in the end, there are only two types of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. What we must understand then, to dispel another misconception of our time, is that hell is not just for apostates. It's not just for those who make a formal declaration of leaving the Catholic Church before they die any mortal sin can lead us to hell. We don't fall in there by accident, of course not. Nevertheless, we do so by embracing some created good in this world instead of our Creator. And so it is possible to go to hell even though you don't formally deny your faith before you die. This would lead us into the error of so many of our separated brethren who declare that once saved, always saved, and that therefore the only thing that could ever lead you to hell would be formally renouncing your Christian faith. No, as we see, any mortal sin can lead to a total rejection of God, embracing some passing good instead of our one true good, who alone can fill our hearts. Furthermore, we must all take heed, especially during this Lent, that clinging to our pet venial sins is not helping us on the way to heaven. Doing our best just to avoid tripping over the line into mortal sin is not the program for heavenly beatitude. Our Lord declares to us today, he who is not with me is against me. He who gathers not with me scatters. Yes, dear flock, hell is a true place. A true place to which we might go. And as frightening as this doctrine is, we see how it must be true. How what has been revealed to us can only be the immutable truth which comes from the mouth of our Savior. Even the most frightening part of it, the idea of eternal punishment. Truly, we must proclaim with so many theologians, how could we not have such a doctrine? Without the doctrine of eternal punishment, what becomes of the doctrine of good and evil? What matters anything that we do in this life if none of our moral actions have eternal consequences? My dear flock, I do not tell you these things simply to frighten you. I tell you, take hell by the horns. Use hell. The fear of hell is the beginning of wisdom. It is the foundation of humility. Like all things that God has created, even hell can be used for our salvation. It has saved countless souls, and it can save our souls as well. I dare to speak to you in this way, this year especially, for on this Sunday we are surrounded by our most powerful saints who defend us from the powers of evil. Saint Joseph, terror of demons, Saint Benedict, the great enemy of all the powers of darkness, whose medal we all wear as a powerful sacramental against the devil. Today we commemorate the feast of Saint Gabriel, the great angel of the Incarnation, who announced the Incarnation first to the prophet Daniel, and then 500 years later to our Blessed Lady. This is why his feast is celebrated on the vigil of Our Lady's feast tomorrow. No mystery is more terrifying to the devils than this great mystery of our faith that is the Incarnation. For the devils cannot bear to hear of a God who in his love and mercy became man, who humbled himself to share in our wretched state, to live among us, and love us, and suffer and die for us. The folly Yes, we dare to say, the folly of divine love. And so we conclude tomorrow by celebrating that great and mighty patroness, Our Lady of the Annunciation, who gave her yes to God, who, as the Gospel tells us today, kept the word of God, the divine word, in her heart. Oh, good God, blessed that womb that bore thee, and the breast that nursed thee. St. Joseph, terror of demons, St. Benedict, St. Gabriel, Our Lady of the Annunciation, intercede for us. Amen.